Amen. You may be seated. Happy Easter. Jesus Christ is risen. And we are here to celebrate that. And here at Waypoint Church, we want, we're joining together this morning with brothers and sisters from all over the world to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And here at Waypoint Church, we have people who speak many different languages. And to honor that and to unite with our brothers and sisters around the world, we're going to hear Mark's uh, Easter Sunday account in four languages. First, it will be done in English and then in Arabic and then in Chinese and then in French, four languages that are represented in our church. And there's many more that won't be read today, but we wanted to just kind of honor this and hear the word of God in these different languages. So if I could get my four readers to come on up. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 16, verses 1 through 7. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you in Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Now I'm going to be reading the passage in Arabic. Marcos 16, 1-7 وَلَمَّا انْتَهَى السَّبْتْ اشترت مريم المجدلية ومريم أم يعقوب وسلومة طيوباً عطرية ليأتينا ويذهنه وفي اليوم الأول من الإسبوع أتينا إلى القبر باكراً مع طلوع الشمس وكنا يقولن بعضهن لبعض من يدحرج لنا الحجر من على باب القبر؟ لكنهن تطلعن فرأينا أن الحجر قد دحرج مع أنه كان كبيرا جدا وإذ دخلنا القبر رأينا في الجهة اليمنى شابا جالسا لابسا ثوبا أبيض فتملكنهن الخوف فقال لهن لا تخافن أنتن تبحثن عن يسوع الناصري الذي صلب إنه قام ليس هو هنا ها هو المكان الذي كان موضوعا فيه لكن أذهبنا وقلنا لتلاميذه ولبطرس إنه سيسبقكم إلى الجليل هناك ترونه كما قال لكم ما كان فين سليوزان إيدو شيجي قلنا أن شيزي مودالا دي ماليا يقدم بوشين ماليا هو سالومي مالشانغاو يأشي قاو يسو لبازي داشين زاو تو تايان دسهو 他们就来到坟墓那里彼此说谁可以给我们滚开部门的石头呢原来那石头非常大他们抬头一看看见石头已经滚开了他们进了坟墓看见一位身穿白袍的青年坐在右边就非常惊恐那青年对他们说不要
你们在那里必必定看见他，正如他从前告诉你们的。呃，我要用圣经的话在圣经的马可福音十四章一到十七。当他们走过，他们看见了马达拉、玛利亚和雅各和萨罗门，他们买了香料，为了去参见耶稣。Le premier jour de la semaine, ils se rendirent au sépulcre de grand matin, comme le soleil venait de se lever. Elles disent entre elles, qui nous roulera la pierre loin de l'entrée du sépulcre. Et levant les yeux, ils aperçurent que la pierre qui était très grande avait été roulée. Elles entrèrent dans le sépulcre, virent un jeune homme assis à droite, vêtu d'une robe blanche et Elles furent épouvantées. Elle leur dit, « Ne vous épouvantez pas. Vous cherchez Jésus de Nazareth, qui a été crucifié. Il est ressuscité. Il n'est point ici. Voici les lieux où on l'avait mis. Mais allez dire à ses disciples et à Pierre, qui vous précède à Galilée, c'est là que vous le verrez, comme il vous l'a dit. Voici la parole de Dieu. Amen. Thank you, guys. Join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, on this joyous day when we remember that you rose from the dead and you conquered death, we join with our brothers and sisters around the world to celebrate your resurrection. God, I specifically pray for my brothers and sisters in places that are suffering, in refugee camps, brothers and sisters in Syria, in Iraq, in Congo, in North Korea, and many places around the world who are suffering right now. Some are in prison, some are celebrating Easter in a prison cell. God, may you be with them. And we celebrate with our, all our brothers and sisters, God, and we thank you for this glorious day. We thank you that we are unified as the body of Christ, We thank you for the many languages and peoples that you've brought to the triangle. And may Waypoint Church and this body be part of proclaiming the good news to people from every nation. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you that we can be united in you with our brothers and sisters. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the word of God from Hebrews chapter 11. You can follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 32 through 40. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. 
There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. Happy Resurrection Day. Happy Easter. Happy day that we celebrate Christ. That was not good. (laughs) That Christ was risen. So recently, I realized that I don't think about Christ's resurrection and my own impending resurrection too often. I mean, I might talk about heaven generally, but I don't really think about the resurrection itself too often. And even when I do, it has more to do with comforting people who lost somebody. I mean, the only times we ever talk about the resurrection, or really the next life, is when you comfort somebody. Oh, somebody passed away. You'll see them again soon. We might at Easter or at a funeral, but it's rare to really talk about the resurrection in our day-to-day conversations. I think this is because we tend to kind of shrink the gospel to just this life, the here and now. We tend to only focus on all the things God's doing now, how he's changing us, how he's moving in the church, how he's changing relationships. We focus on what God's already brought to existence through Christ. But often we choose not to think about the future too often. Now, I believe this is for a couple reasons. One, I believe this is an overreaction from those people who used to treat knowing Jesus like fire insurance. You know, a few years back, people in America, that was kind of the way they treated this whole get to know Jesus thing. Hey, yeah, ticket to heaven. Or make sure you know where you're going in the afterlife. And so we've kind of swung the pendulum too far the other way in saying it's not just about the afterlife, it's about our life now. But then we kind of swung it too far and, and no longer talk about the afterlife. I also think it's part of our culture. We kind of live in the YOLO culture. Who knows what that means? YOLO, what's it mean? Anybody? You only, so young people yelled it out, right? <laughs> the YOLO culture, the YOLO, Y-O-L-O, you only live once. And that's what we see. We see in our YOLO culture. We see this only, you only live once culture. So if this is the only life there is, then you need to embrace it now. If this is all the life there is, then you need to eat, drink, and be merry. Enjoy to the full. It's the, 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 these millennials will tell you it's all about the experiences. That's the YOLO culture. So we don't talk about the afterlife because we live in the YOLO culture. We don't talk about the afterlife because the pendulum has swung away from understanding Jesus in that way. But that idea, this YOLO culture, this only live once idea truly saddens my heart. Because if it was true, then I have nothing to say to the broken and to the oppressed, to the beaten down and the downtrodden, to those who have suffered and are suffering, to those who are enslaved and always have been and always will be. They and I and all those who call upon the name of Jesus look forward to a restoration, to all wrongs being made right, to a time and place where the best of our lives now is just a pale shadow of what is to come. My statement to you this morning is this. 
Our belief in a greater resurrection is fundamental to our existence and radically impacts the way you live now. It is the hope to endure, to enjoy, and to live today because we have tomorrow. My mother and father were immigrants from South Korea who moved to the United States in the late 70s. They were children born during right after, uh, the time right after the Korean War, and they grew up in difficult circumstances. My father first came to America with all of his family, like his brothers and sisters, his parents, and then he went back to Korea and he kind of married my mom through like an arranged marriage type situation. She didn't want to leave, didn't want to leave her family, didn't want to leave her friends, didn't want to be the only person that went and to enter into a whole new family, into a whole new place. But she decided to go. My parents worked incredibly hard their whole lives, sacrificing constantly. My father didn't know what a vacation or a sick day was. My mother left home, friends, family, to come place to a place where she worked nonstop amongst strangers who often looked down upon her. Why? I asked my mom that question one day. Her answer, her whole life, and all that she did for it, her answer was this, that she had hope for the future of her children. She said she did it for me and my sister. She said that we could have a better life than she did. She did it for the future reality that she saw and she believed in. It was hope that brought her through all times of suffering, of loneliness, to make her accomplish something that was greater than even herself. My parents' story is a, a likely story that you can probably relate to in some way, shape, or form. Many of you who come to America, at some point, generationally speaking, your grandparents or your great-grandparents or your great-great-great-great-grandparents have at some point have come to this place with hope of a better future. But this idea, this common theme, is that hope of a better future is what drove them and enabled them to live sacrificially. It's also the hope of a, of a better future is what drives and allows people to suffer in this world and survive. Hope is what gets people through. Hope that even if this life ends, there is another to come that will be better. Most psychologists agree that one of the common denominators that allowed people to survive difficult circumstances, like being a prisoner of war or a prisoner in a concentration camp, is their hope of a better future. The common denominator, what they've seen when they study people who spent five years in a concentration camp, when they see people who spent five years as a prisoner of war, when they see people who endured the worst of suffering and all of the world can suffer, the common denominator was able to say, how in the world did you maintain sanity? How in the world did you come through? I said, hope. Not hope in this life now, because hope in this life now, they saw how many of their friends died while hoping in this life now. But in the hope in the left, next life later. Hebrews 11:1 1 says this, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. As a church, we've been studying the book of Hebrews. We've been in the book of Hebrews as a church since it started in January, since the beginning of the new year. So some of you guys are like, oh, that's a long time in Hebrews. It's a big book. It's good. And every week we've been seeing the book is written to people who are suffering, people who are beaten down with difficulties and troubles, and kind of they're almost to the point they're ready to give up. The writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to give the readers what they need to handle the brutal realities of life in this world. So the passage of scripture that we just read, of what more shall I say? I didn't have time to tell about Gideon and Heberic and Samson and Jephthah and all that passage we just read. 
This passage talks about some really cool characters and cool stories from the Bible that some of you probably didn't even know existed. Do you guys know that? Do you guys know that there's lions' mouths being shut and some amazing stories in the Bible? So it's full of incredible things, so go back and read it one day. This this is for future reference. And for your children, tell them there's some cool stories in the Bible. But you need to check out these incredible characters, these heroes of the faith that the world was not worthy of. They were nowhere near perfect, but they had faith, and that is what the author of Hebrews wants you to get. Now, this next part of this sermon I got, I want you to get, I got from Tim Keller, and this is one of the most powerful sermons I've ever read, and this passage, I want you to not miss what God is speaking in this passage, because this passage is so easy to overlook and say, oh, they had faith. That's good enough. I don't want you to miss these points here. Tim Keller says this, the interpretive key to the passage is the fact that this list, has a, this, this list has a division. There are two divisions here. You can see that there's a first list and a second list. First list in verses 32 to 35 and verses 35 through 38. Or you can see that there are two divisions to the list. But we have to notice that there's a radical division there is between the people who are listed in the beginning and the people who are listed in the end. So here's what I want you to do. First, if you have your Bibles, otherwise you can look on the screen, follow along. Starting in verse 32 through 35, there's a first list of people. You see their names up there. These are all the people who are mentioned here, all great examples of faith. They're all people who are characterized, as it says in the Bible, their weakness was turned to strength. They kind of started out in the margins, but they came to power. They looked like they were about to be defeated. They were facing overwhelming odds, but in the end, they triumphed. They experienced military triumph, political triumph. They conquered kingdoms. They routed armies. They administrated justice. They escaped the sword. What's interesting about all these people on the list, in every case, it looked like they were doomed. It looked like they were about to be defeated. But in the end, they came out victorious. By faith, some shut the mouths of lions, it says. Who's that? Anybody? Daniel. That's right, Daniel. What happened? The lion's den, you guys remember that? Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. It looked like he was about to be dead, but he comes out alive. A miracle, intervention, escape from certain death. How about this next one? Some quench the fury of the flames. There it is. Good job, somebody. Let's turn somebody over there. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Which, by the way, if I ever have triplets... I mean, it'd be incredible. Just, you guys are welcome for that name, by the way. Just make sure that's stored away for you. They were about to be, they're thrown into the furnace, thrown into fiery flame, but they came out alive. In every one of these situations, overwhelming odds, certain death, but they escaped death. Miraculous, they called on God, and, and a miracle intervention happens, and they come out victorious. And we love these stories in the first list, don't we? They resonate with us. We love happy endings. You know, my wife and I saw Les Mis, the musical. I loved Les Mis. And my wife loved it too, and we loved it. But at the same time, part of us were like, we were both sitting here kind of like, I kind of wanted more of a happy ending. You know, right? I mean, at the very end, Jean Valjean dies. Yes, she comes back, but he dies. And we're like, can we not have a happy ending to this story? Something about us longs for, for happy endings. But it was a happy ending, and you'll see why in the future, a little, little bit. If you only hear the first list, you miss the essence of what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell you. If you understand faith as if you try hard enough and if you believe enough, you can overcome anything. You'll, you'll get it all. You'll be victorious if you believe enough, if you have enough faith. 
If that's your understanding of faith, then you're doomed. Because life isn't like that, is it? Life is rough. It's brutal. It doesn't always work that way. If you really think, if you believe hard enough and pray hard enough, somehow you'll always escape, then guys, there's a rude awakening in store for you. And there are people in this church who can say, that hasn't been my story. But in verse 35, there's a major change that occurs. The change starts with the word others. This is the second list. This is the others. There are others. There are others who believe. There are others who have faith. And yet their lives went in completely different direction. There were others who trusted God. There were others who obeyed God. Yet what happened to the first list did not happen to the second list. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, Peter uh, would belong on the first list because, you know, Peter was put into jail and he was rescued out of jail. But there's another, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was put into jail and instead of seeing Jesus rescue him out of jail, he was beheaded. He was in the other list. Don't we know examples of this now? I mean, we've seen God provide miraculously for healing and provision and abundance, and we see all, how all these incredible things that God moves and provides for us, but don't we also see loved ones every day who pray for their suffering to be relieved, who pray for healing, and it doesn't happen? Is it a lack of faith? Heck no. Hear me when I say that again. Is it a lack of faith? Heck no. These, it says, the second list were commended for their faith. What I want you to understand is that both lists, both circumstances point to and show the need that we all have for a better resurrection, an assurance of a better future. I don't want you to miss that. As wonderful as it is that these first group overcame and received back their dead and triumphed, guys, all these were great miracles, but they were all temporary. Because even if somebody came back to life, they're just kind of still subject to suffering. They're still subject to disease. They're still subject to death. In other words, the terrible day has just been put off. Escape from suffering is only ever temporary. Escape from death is only ever temporary. What we need is not some kind of flaky, airy kind of hope just in life after death. We have faith that death is going to be reversed. We know death is going to be defeated. We know that someday resurrection, new heaven and new earth. We know that we're going to get our lives back. We know to get our loved ones back. We believe in a resurrection, not just some hope that somehow things are going to turn out better. We hope in a restoration of all of creation. And that is the hope we need. That is what the people on the first and second list had. And this is the reason why faith like that changes lives. I don't want you to get the impression that the people on the top of the list had better faith and more faith than the people at the bottom of the list. I don't want you ever to hear from Waypoint Church that we believe if you're abundantly blessed, you're more faithful. And I don't want you to ever hear from Waypoint Church that if you're suffering and struggling, you are less faithful. What I want you to hear is that it's the same faith that calls you to endure both the blessing and the suffering. It's the same faith and the same expectation of a new future, of a better future. Guys, I want you to understand this, that all that is good that has happened in your life, all the great things, the, the, my baby, when I, when I kiss him on the face and he smiles and laughs at me, and, and my wife and, and beautiful nature, and all that is good in this world is wonderful, but you, you should only understand it in light of faith in eternity because all that is just a pale, a pale comparison to what you will receive. And it's a picture of the goodness of God saying, I will restore all things. And all the bad, the hurt, 
the pain, the suffering that you've experienced is no longer worthless, is no longer meaningless, but it shapes you and moves you and pushes you to a faith and a hope in a better resurrection. And you endure it for that reason. Because there is something better. Well, one day when every tear will be wiped away, when the lion will lie down next to the lamb, when there's no longer war, there's no longer hatred, and there was now a place where all of creation was what it was meant to be. And here's the cool thing. We as the church get to be the coming attraction, the preview of that. We're not saying we live in that reality now because it's not done yet, but we're saying that we as a church, by the power that Jesus has given us, that we as a church get to say, hey, look how we're living in the church. That's what the kingdom is supposed to look like. And we've done a bad job of that sometimes in the church, haven't we? But by the grace of God, that's what we're moving to do. That's what we're striving to do. Because I want you to understand this, that when my favorite story, my, my, my triplets, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, in Daniel 3, it says, the king said to them, bow down to the idol or you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Here's what they say. It's incredible. They say, our king, our God will deliver us from the flames. In fact, we believe God will deliver us from these fires. But even if we don't, we're not going to bow down to the idol anyway. Even if God doesn't deliver us, I don't care. I can die. Do you hear that? What they're saying is, they said God could deliver us from death and suffering. If in fact, we believe God will or he could. But you know what? Even if he does it, it doesn't matter. Why not? Because their lives were not rooted, their faith was not rooted in their agenda, but instead their faith was in God. I want you to get this, the faith was not in their agenda for God, their faith was in God. People will often say, I trusted God so much, I prayed for this, I prayed for this to happen, and I prayed and he didn't come through. He didn't come through for me, I trusted him. No, you didn't. You were trusting desperately in your own idea for what he wanted him to do. You're trusting desperately in your own agenda, and that's it. That's what it is. You had an agenda how your life has to go, where what should happen in your life, and what you want God to do in your life. But the world isn't going to conform to that, that agenda. If that's the foundation of your life, then it's ultimately you're going to think believing in God is believing in your own agenda, and then you're going to be ultimately disappointed in God. You see, these people in the first and second list believed God. Not in the agenda of God, whatever God's will be done. They believed all the way just into the goodness of who he is. It was a faith that no matter what happened on this earth, it was not about their agenda, but it was faith that said whatever happened on this earth is better because the resurrection that's coming is even better. That the new heavens and the new earth is better. That it's the faith that says no matter what I'm enduring right now, I trust that my general or that my king is using my life wisely. You guys ever play chess? I don't ever play chess, but I'm going to use that illustration. I don't play because I'm not any good at it. Like, I've once had a seven-year-old beat me, so I stopped playing. <laughs> but when you play chess, you, have a, you might have a piece that you're willing to sacrifice for the greater goal. Right? It's called a pawn, typically. You're like, you're, I'll, I'll sacrifice my pawn. And you're like, ooh, I got to take over the queen? I'll give up my pawn in a heartbeat. But here's the deal. If you're the pawn, and you're sitting here, and you're like, well, I don't want to be sacrificed. <laughs> That kind of stinks. The only way you'd be willing to be sacrificed is if you trust that, you know, my God who's sacrificing me has the better goal, the better resurrection, the better future in mind, so I'm willing to be sacrificed because the better goal, guys, think about what the better goal is, the better resurrection is, new heavens and a new earth. 
a restoration to the Garden of Eden. Restoration where we are in relationship with God. He is walking with us. We are intimately known by him. We are called and loved and we're called to incredible purpose. And if that's the goal, okay, I'll sacrifice myself. Do you believe that's the end game? Do you believe that's the goal? You see, these folks believed it. They believed it all the way. One commentator on the book of Hebrews puts it like this. He says, the greatest challenge of the book of Hebrews is to cultivate such a deep and satisfying relationship with God that we rest in him, whether living or dying, whether comfortable or miserable. The great challenge of the book of Hebrews is to cultivate the unshakable confidence that God himself is better than anything life can give us or that death can take away from us. You see, I hope that our future is secure and our relationship is secure is a confidence we need to live as people from both lifts. This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us, this unshakable hope and confidence because Jesus was resurrected because we believe that with everything inside of us, because we believe that we know that death is conquered and we, there is a reality of a new heavens and a new earth. Can I just tell you this? Can I just be honest with you? If Jesus was never resurrected, then the idea of accomplishing restoration of the kingdom, this accomplishing of a new heavens and new earth would not exist for us. It would just be a potential thought, a good thought, but there was no power behind the thought, right? There's no hope, there's no power, but because Jesus powerfully was resurrected, that same power that resurrected him is accomplishing the work that he started. Do you hear that? Because he's shown that death can be defeated. Do we truly have power and truly can live in confidence? Verse 40 says this. It has the audacity to say that they had something better planned together for them. It had the audacity that we have something better, that we have received what these old ancients were looking forward to, that we see the completed death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have something that they didn't have. We have the fullness of the gospel. The whole reason these people were great was that they weren't afraid of death. And if you're not afraid of death, what can you really be afraid of? How can you really be... um, how can you really be afraid of even the future of the unknown? Because death is always what ultimately comes to you. So you have no need to be fearful. Because if you know Jesus was raised from the dead, then you can say, we're going to get our parents back. We're going to get our loved ones back. We're going to get our children back. We're going to get our friends back. We're going to get our family back. And we can say, Jesus lives. Death, where is your sting? And I love this, guys. I want you to hear this. Jesus, when he shows back up in his resurrected body, he shows his disciple. And he has something that you're very surprised that he has. He actually has his scars, right? That's what they say, hey, what does Thomas say? Let me see. Let me see your scars. Let me see your holes in your hand. Let me, let me see that. He actually has his wounds. And I want you to know, why does he still have that? Right? If I was coming back with my resurrected body, I don't want my scars. I don't want my blemishes. I don't want those. But Jesus came back, resurrected body. He still has his scars. Why? Well, here's what happened. When the disciples saw the nails go into Jesus' hands, everything shattered for them. Because for them, their own agenda of Jesus was, Jesus, come back and be this political leader. Overthrow the Roman Empire. Let us be your inner court. Let us be like your, you know, remember when, when, when they asked, hey, who's going to sit at your right hand? They're not just talking about like in heaven, right? They actually literally thought Jesus was going to be the king, overthrow the empire, and have like chariots all around him and inner court. They're like, let me be like the minister of state. You know, that's what they, that's what they were asking for. 
positions of power, of title. And so when, when they saw Jesus being crucified, they were like, no! Everything we hoped for, Jesus, we followed you for three years. Were you not going to conquer everything? What's going on? So they choked. They denied him. They walked away from him. It's because they didn't believe in Jesus. They believed in their own agenda for Jesus, their own plan for him. But that very thing, the very thing that shattered their agendas is the very thing that brought them salvation. Do you hear that? When you see the risen power of the resurrected Christ, the very thing that brought them shattered their agenda is the very thing that brought them salvation. Guys, there are things that terrible might be happening in your life now. There are things that might be going on in your life. You don't know idea what's going on. You, you, don't, you don't even know what's, how this could be happening in your life now. And when, with Jesus, he's saying, embrace me that every death will lead to resurrection. Every failure will lead to something greater. Everything that goes wrong in your life will eventually lead to something greater. That's why Jesus shows up in his resurrected body with still his wounds there. Because he's showing in his wounds how beautiful it is that the wounds lead to glory. Can I tell you, those of you who are in pain and in suffering, can I tell you that your wounds lead to glory through the power of Jesus' resurrection? And can I tell you that if I lived under the other philosophy, this YOLO lifestyle, that you only live once, then I can never look to my friends or my brothers and my sisters who have been enslaved, who have suffered, who have suffered so much, and live this life of suffering, I can never look at them and, and not weep before them. Because if this life is all there is, then I'm so sorry for you. But I can look at them with love in my heart and with confidence and say, everything you've endured, it's not meaningless. The death that you've experienced, the loss that you've experienced, it's not meaningless. It's working out a peculiar glory in you. It's shaping you. It's leading to something more, and it will be redeemed. It will be changed, and the world will be new. And that is your future. I tell you, the resurrection of Jesus, every one of our sorrows will eventually be made and lead to eventual glory. That's the better resurrection we have to hope for. Can I tell you this? I believe the human condition, and most people here at Waypoint Church have heard me say this all the time. I believe the human condition is this, that we all want to be known, that we all crave to be loved, and we all crave purpose. But let me, I want to add a little bit to that. We all want to be known. We all want to be loved. We all want purpose. But we also need to know our state of eternity. We also need to know that there is something more for us. Because that radically shapes us. The Greek philosopher once talked about how, how could you live this life without knowing, how could you live this life with any kind of confidence if you don't know what happens next? Because all you would do is fret and worry about, as your life especially gets towards the end, what in the world's gonna happen next? And he just, this philosopher just wrestled with this issue. What happens next? What happens next? What happens next? And just couldn't even live now. We have the confidence to live now because we have the hope of a better resurrection that was purchased by the blood of Jesus. Our future is set because Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life of love, the perfect life that fulfilled the law, 
He came and with his life showed that I'm going to restore all things. Guys, I want you to hear this. When Jesus came to the earth, he performed miracles, right? And most people say, well, why did Jesus perform miracles? To show his power. Eh, yes. But if I was going to come to earth and show my power, my miracles wouldn't be healing the blind and raising the dead and letting the walk, uh, lame walk. My miracles would be like fireworks in the sky and spaceships and, and like dragons breathing the name of Lawrence across the sky. That's how I will show my power. It'd be like me floating and flying like Superman. Honestly, if I was coming to show the earth my power, perform miracles to show my power, that's what I would do. No, Jesus healed the sick. He restored the leper, brought sight back to the blind. Why did he do those miracles? Because in his miracles, he was showing what his life was about. And his life was about restoring what was broken, restoring what was lost, restoring what fell in the fall, and making coming back to the restoration of the beautiful kingdom. Do you hear that? So that's what Jesus came, and he came and he lived like that. And with his life, he showed the world that is going to come back. Guys, I know the world is rough. I know there's suffering, but let me tell you that we are going to restore it and make all things new. And then he died to make it happen. He died and the fullness of God's justice was placed upon him. The sin that we commit the guilt that we have was fully placed upon him. And can I tell you this? I don't know what culture, what, wherever you're from, but the reality is the human condition, we realize this, is that we want to be known, but when we know ourselves, when we think about ourselves, honestly, we often hide who we really are from people because we're ashamed. We feel shame. We feel guilt innate in us. We do. We feel, that's just kind of innate to us. We know we've messed up. We know we have expectations of what our life is supposed to look like, and we don't live up to it. And we realize even amongst our family, amongst our friends, we often hide who we are because, oh man, if you just knew how bad I was. And so because of that, Jesus took upon all sin so that we can be both known in our depths of our messed upness, in the depth of our sin, we can also, he took upon all wrath of God so that now all that's left is love and what God sees in us is righteous. So those of us who profess Christ can know be known fully, but also loved completely and called the purpose of restoring what was broken. So if you don't know that today, and if you're here today and you don't know the better resurrection, if your hope is not in that promise, can I tell you that you have the opportunity to do that? We invite you, if during our worship set as we close, that if you have any desire anything urging your heart, any, any inkling and tugging of your heart to say, I need to know Jesus like that. I need to know the resurrection like that. We will have some people stationed in the back over there to the sides over here, and we welcome you to come find them, seek them out, and pray with them. But do not leave this room without thinking about the future and the hope that you have in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... God, we thank you for the fullness that we have now. That we now get to know and experience what the ancients didn't know and experience. We get to know the fullness of the work of Jesus Christ. God, the life of love that he led. God, the restoration of creation that he accomplished. God, the death upon the cross. God, the resurrection power that we see in him. God, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that death is conquered. 
that it has no longer has any sting and control over us, that we no longer fear death, but instead we know and trust that we have a future reality with you, a better resurrection, a resurrection that causes us to live in a different way now. And we know that whatever we face, whether suffering, whether joy, whether triumph or loss, we know that all things and all of it, you're working out a peculiar glory in us and is not meaningless. God, you're restoring your kingdom. May your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.